Welcome to Grow Opportunity, the podcast, featuring conversations with Canadian cannabis industry experts and professionals. This podcast is brought to you by Emerald Harvest, premium hydroponic nutrients for simple, easy success. Hello all, and welcome to this episode of Grow Opportunity, the podcast. I'm your host, Katerina Muya, editor of Grow Opportunity magazine. The cannabis industry, as we all know, is still in its early stages of research and development, especially when it comes to breeding and genetics. There's a ton of knowledge from legacy growers and the legacy market, but today there are technologies and innovations available to scientists and researchers that weren't available even five years ago. And of course, with legalization has come the financial support from governments and investors and an openness that wasn't once there, which has allowed these types of studies and research projects to be conducted. With an interest to conduct its own research and development studies and produce new strains, Aurora Cannabis opened its breeding facility, Aurora Coast. In late September, the division released its first new strains under Aurora Cannabis's consumer brand, San Rafael 71. The strains include Driftwood Diesel, Stonefruit Sunset, and Lemon Rocket. Additionally, the Aurora Coast Division looks to continue providing new strains frequently under its newly announced genetics licensing business unit, OCO. Here to discuss the company's new state-of-the-art breeding facility, the new strains at San Rafael 71, and the future of the company's and the Canadian cannabis industry's potential areas of research and development are Greg Bowdy, Senior Director of Breeding and Genetics, and Andrew Hand, Director of Cultivar Development, both at OCO. As the Senior Director of Breeding and Genetics, Greg got his start in the cannabis industry through Anandia in early 2018. Greg earned his PhD at the University of British Columbia in the Reisberg lab working on sunflower genomics and breeding. More recently, Greg worked as a trait geneticist in vegetables with a biotech company in California, where he worked on enabling marker-assisted selections in tomatoes for important disease and quality traits, as well as building new hybrids with multiple disease tolerance traits. As the Director of Cultivar Development, Andrew began his professional career in the cannabis industry at MedRelief's first production site in 2014. Andrew has been successfully managing the cultivar development pipeline for over seven years, resulting in the commercialization of over two dozen new products. Now performing this work at OCO's bespoke research facility, this program has scaled considerably, allowing for a continuous output of high quality and differentiating new cultivars. Andrew has a Master of Sciences from the University of Guelph, where he studied the effects that environment has on plant development and metabolism. Greg and Andrew, thank you both for taking the time today to tell me and our listeners about the work you're doing at OCO. I know that we heard a little bit about how both of you got your start in the industry, but I was wondering if you could both give me a little bit more insight as to what piqued your interest in the cannabis space. Andrew, if you wanted to start. Yeah, great. Um, the cannabis industry is, is very special to me for a number of different reasons. Um, it, it's near and dear to my heart because I've seen the effect that medical cannabis can have on people's daily lives for, for a very long time. My, my father's had a prescription for medical cannabis for, for many years and has grown his own cannabis for, for a very long time as well. And I helped him. Uh, with much of that. And I saw just the the benefit it brought him, the quality of life improvements it's brought him. Um, So I really do believe that it is like a real medicine that's helping people every single day. So it's very rewarding bringing new products to the market, knowing that it's something that isn't just recreational, but it's therapeutic. Um, It's also something special because it's a, a new industry that we're able to 
really carve our own path in and be entrepreneurial, which is exciting. Um, again, my family is a family of uh, people that are entrepreneurs and start their own business. So being able to follow in that is, has been great. That and I, I just love the culture. I've been an everyday smoker almost since the 10th grade. It's just something that's near and dear to me and I know really helps people. So it's, it's really a special time that I feel like I'm able to contribute to. It's really interesting to hear that, you know, um, it's something that you're, you're passionate about. I think that's something that's very felt across the entire cannabis industry and um, knowing the product and knowing the benefits is definitely a reason I've heard, um, you know, across the space as to why people have, you know, such a dedication and passion for the, uh, the plant itself and it, you know, what it does. So, um, and Greg, on your end, um, I saw from your bio that you actually grew up on a seed corn farm in Ontario. So I can imagine you were around plants and produce all your life. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got into the cannabis space and was it difficult to kind of make that transition? Yeah, that's, um, you know, I, I love hearing the stories too about how cannabis helps people. And I think that's, that's totally awesome, but I, it would be disingenuous of me to, to, to say that's the reason why I joined. I, the thing that got me excited about cannabis is, is essentially like the, the science adventure, right? There's so little that we know about the plant and really about its genetics. For sure. Um, that, that really was what hooked me and got me, got me looking at joining the cannabis industry in the first place. Um, you know, before I was in um, working on tomatoes and that's a crop that's been really well studied for, for decades. And, you know, there's a lot of great resources and tools there for researchers, you know, things like markers and genetic maps and, you know, simple things like the processes to make seeds and make crosses. But what I found uh, is that actually figuring out the figuring those things out is is the funnest part, and so all of those things are are still being worked on in cannabis. So that's that's really what pulled me in. Thank you so much, Greg. Um, so moving a little bit more into Aurora and the Aurora Coast um, division and the Oco unit, um, how did these operations come to be, and what made Aurora Cannabis want to be a leader in the genetics and breeding space um, in the cannabis industry? I think um, everybody sees the need. Um, there's really no central, you know, public breeding programs for cannabis because of its illicit status. And I think, you know, looking across the industry, you see that everybody has some R&D efforts at, at some scale. Um, what what Aurora recognizes, and and really before that in Andia. So so this facility was first envisioned by an Andia before it was acquired by Aurora. And they, they really saw that there's, you know, a place for a, a large dedicated research facility to, to sort of fill that, fill that gap in a sort of centralized way. This was actually a question I was going to ask you a little bit later, but since we're talking about it now, you did say that, you know, there isn't um, a big enough or a huge focus on the breeding and um, genetics area and Aurora cannabis recognized a need for this. Um, and there are some smaller, I guess, facilities um, that are doing research um, and developments on straight new strains and, um, you know, genetics and breeding. What else kind of separates the Aurora Coast and OCO research and um, efforts from, you know, any other facilities that are kind of trying to do the same thing? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple of really practical things like, you know, the facility is solely an R&D facility. So we're essentially unencumbered by 
you know, some of the overhead that goes with being in a production facility, a lot of, and, and Andrew can, can mm-hmm. uh, comment on this too, a lot of R&D is done in the sort of back corner of a production facility. And, and that's that's better than not doing it at all. But, you know, you have to have a, a very high level of, you know, SOPs and cleanliness and all these things that go along with the production facility. So so that's that's one thing. You know, the other things that set us apart are, you know, is, is the team, you know, we have a dedicated team of people that have been solely focused on our, like cannabis research for, for years now. And that sort of builds in some real institutional knowledge into the processes that we're doing. Yeah, we also have access to an extremely large uh, catalog of uh, exciting and interesting backgrounds for cannabis for us to breed with. Uh, when Aurora acquired Anandia, acquired MedRelief, acquired Canamed, they all had uh, small breeding efforts or what I was doing at, at our Markham facility north of Toronto for about five, six years. Uh, I produced a large number of different seeds and some crosses through the work I was doing there. So we, act, we have a, a very large catalog of diverse uh, strains and cultivars that have diverse aromas, looks, uh, morphology, everything that gives us the tools we need to make the crosses that we believe will give us what we need for consumers and cultivators. Got it. And I am curious because um, I know that work is being, that Aurora Cannabis has, you know, it's medical brands, but it also has its recreational brands. I'm curious to know if there's, you know, because you have all these strains, is there a separation between what is used for medical cannabis and what is used for recreational cannabis? And if so, like, how are, how are you kind of organizing that um, within the facility? So within the facility here, we don't necessarily differentiate between a product that's for medical versus a product that's for recreational. I mean, that being said, inherently something that's CBD or, or balance between THC and CBD has more utility in the medical space. Um, that being said, I do see an interest in balanced, high-quality consumer recreational uh, cultivars as well. Um, but that's really up to like the, the business units to determine where we need new cultivars and what would be most advantageous to different groups. But most new cultivars are released under, under recreational and a medical brand. Um, for example, the three that you mentioned uh, under our San Raf brand are sold under the, the MedRelief medical brand as well. Got it. Okay. Interesting. So what are some of the current developments and studies being done at Aurora Coast and OCO? Yeah. So, um, you know, we have three really broad areas that we work in. Um, One is Andrew's, what we call the cultivar development pipeline. So this is breeding, photo period sensitive, clonally propagated, ultra high quality genetics for, you know, right now, right? Having new things to put into into the market as quickly as possible. And Andrew can speak to that and I'm I'm sure he will. Um, And then the two other bins, one is um, a longer term breeding effort to move to seed. So this is like um, some years out for the most part, um, but we, we do think that eventually the industry will move away from the mother and clone system and to all seed propagation. So we're investing now to, to really lead that. Um, the earliest phase of that is going to be outdoor genetics grown from seed, right? So if you're growing outdoors, it's g- generally at a larger scale. Um, 
So seeds make what are going to make sense there first. Uh, and then the, the third bin of, of work is what I just call genetics. So super broad. I mean, it's all kind of genetics if you think about it, but this is us trying to understand the underlying genetic basis of the traits that we care about. So, you know, what, what makes a plant produce more THC? What makes a plant flower earlier? What makes a plant put on more yield? Um, and so if we can understand the genetics, understand really the genes that are responsible for those traits, then we can really accelerate our breeding through marker-assisted selection. And the best one, best example of that is, is disease tolerance. So right now our focus is on powdery mildew resistance. So we have this, this uh, project we're doing with a lab at the University of British Columbia, where we're trying to figure out what gene causes uh, powdery mildew resistance so that we can use markers instead of using uh, pathogen tests, uh, disease tests, which is uh, yeah, pretty, a pretty blunt tool. Got it. And so I know that, um, Greg, you've done, you know, work on produce and, and Andrew, you've been working with, um, you know, cannabis for, you know, years. What are some uh, new technologies and innovations that are available at Aurora Coast that are allowing you to kind of perform these studies and maybe, you know, technologies that you, you haven't seen before that you've, you've only started working with now? You know, one of the things that I think is exciting isn't, isn't necessarily like new to, are technologies that aren't necessarily new to breeding, but new to cannabis breeding. So for example, this, this grant that we're working on uh, with this lab at the University of British Columbia. So it's the Riesberg lab. It's actually the same lab I did, did my PhD with. And they specialize in, uh, well, a couple of things, but, but really it's this set of technologies called next generation sequencing. So we're, we're using uh, high throughput DNA sequencing to sequence a huge library of unique cannabis cultivars. And that's going to let us discover the, the markers, discover the genes that are responsible for powdery mildew a lot more quickly than, than say, you know, some older technologies that, you know, you would have had access to, you know, 10 years ago. And the, and the cool thing there isn't, you know, these are, these are tools that they're also applying to other crops but it's, it's really getting to apply them to the first time in cannabis. That's the, the exciting thing. And to add to that, uh, again, this isn't something that's new specifically for cannabis, but uh, the scale that we're able to operate at here really allows us to uh, find genotypes that are check every single box for what cultivators and consumers want. Um, when I did this work previously, uh, it was in a room that Greg kind of described earlier, essentially a, a small backroom closet converted into a couple little grow rooms. And we were very successful with that. But what we're able to do here is orders of magnitude, larger scale. Um, so being able to use the technologies that Greg has talked about uh, and then being able to put it through a well thought out pipeline that is high throughput um, and really ensures, gathers all the necessary data to make informed selections uh, and to be able to provide that information to both cultivators and uh, business orientated people um, really allows us to find things that can do well in the market and can make a meaningful difference to production. 
So I did want to bring up, I don't know if either of you attended the, uh, the 2021 Global Cannabis Executive Summit that took place at the Sheridan uh, in, in Toronto, um, but there was an Aurora cannabis rep who discussed um, and actually made a presentation about the Aurora Coast breeding facility. And um, one question from the audience had to do with GMO and the likelihood of Aurora cannabis utilizing GMO. Um, and the representative's response was, um, I believe along the lines of GMO would be a death sentence. So part of my job is grow opportunity, but I also write for uh, two fish farming magazines. And in those, in that, you know, industry, GMO is, you know, that's a normal thing that's used in that area. Um, so can you explain to somebody like me who, who does see GMO used in other industries, why that would be quote unquote, a death sentence in the Canadian cannabis industry? Yeah, so I, I'm not sure exactly the context of the question there, but I wasn't there myself, but mm -hmm. this is a super useful technology in a, in a lot of ways. So it absolutely is a useful tool for research, but where it gets very, very difficult to see a future for it is in, you know, commercial cannabis products. So I don't think there's, you know, consumer reception for that is going to be not friendly at all. I mean, it's bad enough in, in things like, you know, corn where the corn gets turned into ethanol and people, you know, <laughs> don't like that. It's a whole different thing to, to do, to do it with something like cannabis where people really have, um, a, a deep connection to it and view it as like a plant medicine. Cause that, I mean, it is a plant medicine and, and you smoke it too. So there's a mm -hmm. whole nother layer of sort of, uh, I don't want to say mystery, but um, unknowns there that, that sure. people might be contending with. There, there's two practical reasons why I wouldn't say it's a, a death sentence, but just not a good thing to do. One is that it's super expensive to go through the regulatory process to get a new GM trade approved, right? So the big biotech companies love to advertise how many tens or hundreds of millions of dollars they they spend to get new GM products through regulatory approval. And that's just not going to be viable for, for cannabis, right? That's just not, that's, that's going to be a, a killer right there. The other thing more important is that we, in a sense, really don't need to use GMOs and cannabis. There's so much work to be done and such big steps of improvements that we can make with traditional, I'm doing air quotes, traditional plant breeding methods um, that, you know, I think, I think we have decades of, of real serious improvement in front of us without needing to reach for those other technologies. I know we touched on it a little bit earlier. San Rafael uh, introduced the new strains, uh, Driftwood Diesel, Stone Root Fruit Sunset, and Lemon Rocket. Could you talk to me a little bit more about these new strains and what makes them unique from, you know, the other products that are out there? Why will consumers want this product, these products over others? And additionally, how are they all different from each other? The three of them are different from each other from like an aromatic and look standpoint. They, they were selected from a, a large pool of different potential cultivars that we'd want to commercialize based on the fact that they are three very different things uh, from the way they look and the aroma. Um, so it was kind of an experiment to a degree. I mean, I've commercialized a large number of cultivars over time, but this is the first time we're bringing something out of uh, this facility using this pipeline that we've scaled up here. So we wanted to kind of see how the three different 
products did on the market. Um, and the market we're selling to now is quite different from the market that it was, hell, I'd even say six months ago or a couple of years ago. It's, it's a rapidly changing market. So putting out three very different things uh, allowed for us to kind of gauge how, how well these do and could help us with better predictive abilities about which new cultivars down the line may do. But the, the, the special thing about this is, is that it was a proof of concept for the pipeline that we have. Uh, the pipeline has been established to have be very high throughput, to be able to regularly put out new cultivars multiple times a year. We're, we're germinating new seeds multiple times a year um, and really putting together very thorough information packages on these to be able to make as informed choices as possible to minimize how much we're essentially rolling the dice on commercializing a new cultivar. It's a, it's a lot of effort, a lot of money, and a lot of risk bringing a new product to market reputationally as well. So being able to minimize the risk there as much as possible with the information that we're capable of gathering uh, has been a tremendous asset. Um, and it's really just the beginning. We're going to be launching new cultivars at a regular cadence, which is because of the pipeline that we've established here. Got it. And I actually was going to ask, how frequently are you projecting to be releasing new strains? Well, on a regular basis. Uh, so I, I can't say exactly um, <laughs> because it, the pipeline extends beyond what we do here at Coast. It goes Got into it. production uh, mm -hmm. and there's a large number of things that need to go on commercialization. So we're undertaking a like a critical look at the entire pipeline, even beyond what we do here to make it as predictable as possible so that we can launch on a regular basis. Yeah, maybe maybe I'll, I'll add. Um, so there's kind of two aspects to that. So, so there's the breeding effort here and it is, it's basically, you know, we put in thousands of new genotypes at the top, essentially every six months, twice a year, we start this process. And that means twice a year, we get new things, new things coming out of that. And it, and it takes about a year and a half to do all of the testing cycles that we do with the new genotype. And then these successful genotypes essentially go into our genetics catalog. So we, we offer a catalog of the latest and greatest to any potential customer, any, any LP that wants to use, you know, OCO genetics. The other stream, some of those get put into the Aurora product stream. And then that's, that's the sort some of the process that Andrew was speaking to. So there's, mm -hmm. there's kind of, you know, the, the frequency is essentially twice a year, new things are going into the catalog. And then it's, it's really up to the LP. And for the most part that has been Aurora, but there's more LPs looking at our genetics now. Um, it's really up to them to figure out how long to produce it, get it into the provinces and get it sold. Right. Um, and you did say you have, you know, a big genetics catalog. I, you might've touched on this earlier, but I can't remember. Do you know how many strains exactly you have in your genetics catalog at this point? One of the things we, we've done from early days here is kind of clamped down on, on language and, and steered away from the, the strain terminology because it does somewhat, uh, and I'm not, I'm not trying to criticize you for, you for using this the, the term strain. So we don't, I'm just trying to say, you know, we don't count them by strain. Got it. Um, when things get through the whole pipeline, so we do essentially four rounds of testing with flower potential new genotype four times in ever increasingly large trials. And when it graduates out of that, we call it a cultivar. Mm -hmm. um, 
So, you know, we only have dozens of cultivars at a given time, right? Which doesn't sound very impressive, but to get to those dozens, we start with thousands of, of genotypes, unique, unique seeds. I won't say specifically, but I'm, I'm pretty confident that we have one of the largest seed banks and most diverse mother rooms going. And that that's both in terms of just the raw quantity of seeds that we have and the diversity of, of those genetics. That's actually really impressive. I know you said a dozen, you're like, oh, it's not that, you know, impressive, but I, it is very, very impressive, especially when, you know, um, Aurora Cannabis is one of the the facilities that have, you know, one of the bigger uh, research and development units going on. So that's awesome. Um, and I want to go back just a little bit because I know when we first discussed uh, the three new cultivars that were released under the San Rafael brand, I think it was Andrew who mentioned that, you know, they were kind of put out there so that you can collect data um, and based on consumers feedback, you'd know um, what to, to kind of aim for next. Can I ask which of the three cultivars did the best after they were first released? Well, <laughs> as you'd probably guess, the one that's uh, right out of the gate done the best uh, is the one with the highest number on the bottle, which is usually <laughs> the it. case. Uh, mm -hmm. But as a cannabis enthusiast and someone who has sees the diversity that can be out there, uh, there's definitely a hope that people look beyond just that one number and look at the other properties of these products. But they've all been reviewed very highly. People find them, they smell great. There's nice strong aromas associated with all of them. Um, personally, I'm a big fan of Lemon Rocket. I think it's great mm -hmm. for, for during the day. Uh, and then Driftwood Diesel before bed has been great because um, I, I do see different different cultivars being appropriate for, for different, different times, different times. Yeah. For sure. um, yeah. There, there's, there's different people that, that we have to, that are in that sort of re review process, right? There's yeah. like me looking at them in the, in the room growing. It's like, wow, stone fruit sunset by a mile is the prettiest. It is yeah. absolutely gorgeous as a plant. Got it. And then there's the grower and they have different preferences. And that also depends on, where they're growing, right? We have indoor and greenhouse facilities and there's different preferences there. And then, then the consumer also has preferences. And yeah, it's <laughs> generally seems to be THC is a, is a, is it worth, uh, at least worth some, some bonus points when they, when it comes mm -hmm. to reviews. It's the cultivator. It needs to be uh, a cultivar that, that grows well is, is relatively foolproof and ha is consistent batch after batch. I mean, I've, I've worked with many cannabis cultivators over the years, and I know they're a passionate group of people that uh, definitely lose sleep uh, at night growing certain cultivars that are kind of a pain to grow. So ideally we find things that are easy to grow, but at the same time, the consumer needs to be happy too and will want to repeat purchase uh, cultivars because they enjoyed the effect, the aroma um, and all of that. And so I am curious to know, what were some of the major challenges that you faced while producing uh, these three cultivars, or if there were any? They were actually pretty easy. I mean, uh, when we selected the three cultivars uh, to go into production, it was really a trial by fire for what we're offering here at Coast and reputationally important. So we, we picked three that we think should have been as foolproof as possible and should provide as minimal headaches as possible. And it's worked out quite well. Um, the, the lead cultivator uh, at 
our Toronto or North of Toronto facility in Bradford, um, who has taken charge of growing these. Uh, he really nailed it out of the park right from the get-go. I, I provided him all the information we can, but at the end of the day, he's growing quite differently indoors uh, versus the greenhouse that we have here. So he did have some challenges and concerns going into it, but he came back saying they, they've grown really well. He's had minimal issues with um, like any kind of disease or rooting or like the leafiness or anything about them. And he's been very happy with how they perform so far. Andrew's obviously more close to some of the, the production facilities and, and actually seeing these, these products through to launch uh, for Aurora or our different brands. But there's also the sort of production from the, on the sort of science and breeding side, what they went through here. And the, the kind of the cool thing with, with those three is their, their origin is, is really from the start of the facility, right? So we're just, we're just approaching two years of operation here at, at Aurora Coast. Um, so as I mentioned, the, the breeding pipeline is really about a year and a half long from, from germinating seeds to saying, okay, these are the winners. So those, those three, which I think went into production, like how long ago? In February this year. Yeah. So, so those three were, were started at the very start of the facility. So as with starting any new facility, it's like, you know, do, do we know where all the switches are for, you know, for... <laughs> for every set of lights and yeah. you know, the irrigation system and that leaks and that, you know, so there's, there was endless uh, pains on that side, but got it. you know, am am amazingly, like I was fully prepared to write off a, you know, the first couple of grows in a new facility, I, I would say are, are, are pretty high risk and you know, they, they were not perfect, but uh, they were definitely successful. So um I think that was a pretty, pretty big accomplishment for us. We That's were awesome. flying the plane as we were building it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We could say that it started off on a high note. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So I just want to move into uh, looking into 2022 and maybe the future of, um, you know, Aurora Coast and OCO. Uh, what are some goals or areas of interest when it comes to research, breeding, genetics, and development? I know um, a little bit earlier we talked about um, what you're currently working on, but is there anything um, maybe on your own interest for both of you that you think, you know, maybe we should start looking at this or maybe we should start focusing on this or we should start doing research on this? Is there something in particular that comes to mind? The thing that's always top of mind for me is, is seeds. Um, as you know, right now, um, for the most part, Germany, like there's there's not stable, what, what we call stable genetics in, in cannabis, right? If you grow get a pack of seeds and you grow all 10 seeds or whatever you have, all of those plants are going to look a little bit different from one another, necessitating this sort of pheno hunt, right? You need to go mm -hmm. and find one that the one that's the best out of the group. Yep. What, what we want to do is be able to provide not 10 seeds, but 10,000 seeds and have be able, people be able to germinate them all and put them directly into a production room. Right. So that that's a, a, big endeavor and something that we're, we're really going to be going in um, and we're transplanting a room, I think next week, end of this week, mm -hmm. um, as, as really our, our second or third, but a very big step into, into that research path. And I guess like that's, that's a big thing because um, quality and having, you know, the same uh, 
I guess, quality of product every single time is something that the industry is having a hard time gauging right now and trying to figure out how, how do we produce, you know, the same level or the same quality of product every single time. So yeah, I can definitely see that being an important area. One of the other thing that is related to quality and is a constant issue. And, and one of the reasons why I'm so bullish on seeds is that is, is mothers, mothers and clones, right? Yeah. You have to have excellent mother plant health and excellent clone health to, to kick off a good grow. And that's really the starting point of derailing quality, right? If you're not going in with good moms and good clones, you're not going to have a good grow. So uh, yeah, moving to seed obviously eliminates all that. You just germinate seeds and, and you're off to the races and you don't have to have mothers. When I was at the Global Cannabis Executive Summit, there was somebody who came in and did a presentation specifically on, you know, getting rid of, you know, mother plant rooms altogether. Mm -hmm. And yeah, just going from um, seeds like that. So it was very interesting to hear that, you know, that's kind of where the uh, the industry is going. And it's just interesting to know, like, there's going to be no mother plant rooms anymore. <laughs> and uh, so it's, that's very, very interesting. And it's kind of nice to know that, you know, um, I guess it's something that the industry is trying to move forward with as a whole. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, I, I should I should point out I'm I'm you know although I'm really bullish on it as a general idea I'm not going to commit to any timelines for sure I, for sure either, yeah as a research item or as like you know if I had perfect seeds today I don't think I could convince very many growers like it, it I could convince them but it would just take time going to be holdouts for a very long time I think. Yeah. So what, how do you think, uh, you know, the industry will kind of have to go about um, converting people and convincing people that this is, you know, a sustainable way to continue with the process? We're going to have to have a very, you know, just a very compelling data set, essentially. Right. And, and we we don't have that yet, but that's what we're going to have to go to growers with. You know, here's the cost you know, cost per dollar and the consistency and the numbers that you can get out of it and just compare that head to head to, to mothers and clones. And to add to that, it also needs to be something that will be a product that consumers want to continue to buy For too. Sure. We have our consuming consumer base uh, are, are very picky about what they can, about the flower they buy and they have high expectation of quality, which is only increasing uh, with time as growers in Canada get better and better. So it needs to be uh, an equivalent product, if not better, to be able to make that transition over. I also see it being challenging from a, like a business standpoint too, if uh, a company has long-standing cultivars that are um, provide a foundation for them and something they've grown for some time and it's, it's working quite well for them, transitioning away from that into a new cultivar because it's seed will be a challenge. So I see it also being a, a transition period where it, it won't be all at once, but it will be new cultivars introduced via seed. Um, and then over time, removing cultivars that require mother room space because yeah, the, the beginning of all cultivation headaches start with propagation. Yeah. Okay. Well, Greg and Andrew, I want to thank you both so much for joining me today for this episode of Grow Opportunity, the podcast. For everyone listening, thank you so much for tuning in and be sure to visit growopportunity.ca forward slash podcast to stay up to date with all of our episodes. Until next time, be well. This podcast is brought to you by Emerald Harvest, premium hydroponic nutrients for simple, easy success.